Do you want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. It lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. You know I love that, and I promise you the other platforms don't offer that. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can also earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. I've been using Spotify for Podcasters from the very start. I highly recommend you give it a try. Just don't post on Monday. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Hey everyone, Gil Gross here, and it is time for another mailbag with a theme. About 24 hours ago, I posted on the YouTube community tab, and I asked you guys for your opinions on the most overrated shots in tennis. A couple months back, we did the same for the most underrated shots in tennis, shots that don't get enough love but are really awesome and deserve some praise. And we got to to talk about those shots. This is going to be a little bit different. Uh, These are the shots that get maybe a lot of love, a lot of praise, but aren't all what they're cracked up to be. So uh, let's get into it. It's all in good fun. It's, uh, it's, I, I like discussing these kinds of player attributes in isolation. And uh, this will be in alphabetical order. So we got a couple of Alcarazes, A for Alcaraz, uh, to start us off here. From Nathan, at this stage in his career, I'd say the Alcaraz drop shot. I think he telegraphs it rather frequently and can hit it from questionable positions in the court. Once he learns to use it more judiciously and disguise it more, I think he'll have better results. So I mostly disagree with this, especially if you look at his 2021 matches, his matches from the start of this year in Rio de Janeiro, that finals run, you look at the final against Schwartzman, you look at a lot of those Indian Wells matches, the Miami matches, when on that title run from Alcaraz, we were looking at the stats after these matches, and Alcaraz was winning like 80, 90%, sometimes more, sometimes higher We're looking at the stats after the match, and Alcaraz was pretty much winning the point every time he went to the drop shot. So in no way was it it, uh, overrated. And by the way, he was using it oftentimes in enormous spots. Like it felt like every time he was in a tiebreak, we'd see three drop shots, and at least two of them would, would win him the point. I mean, it was really, really good stuff from him. I will say, though, that... It fell off as the season progressed. I'm sure players were just ultra aware of it and they were accounting for it more. And I also think Alcaraz got in his head a little bit on the on the drop shot. The decision-making wasn't quite as sound. The execution was a little bit off in some big spots. And yeah, it, it fell off. Let's see how it develops, how it progresses I think long-term in his career, it's going to be an enormous asset for him. A long one from SJ here. I'm not going to go with all of them because I want this to be a quicker mailbag where I get through um, a ton of them. Uh, but I, he says, uh, 
in the third paragraph. I'm going to pick a very controversial one here, but Alcaraz's forehand is a little overrated right now. I see the potency of the shot, and it's going to improve, and it's already top 10 in the world for sure, but I feel like he rushes through the stroke a little in an attempt to take it early and spends a little bit too much time setting it up. This leads to errors or making late contact on faster surfaces sometimes, and I think it's the reason for his relative inconsistency. Great as he is, did he really need to spend like 16 hours on the court for his last four U.S. Open matches? I like the guy a lot, so it's tough to put him here. And just so you guys know, the other ones that SJ said, other comments say them. So that's why I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with the Alcaraz forehand part of the comment. Do I think it's overrated? I don't know that a lot of people are like, wow, Alcaraz's forehand is impeccable, is a big reason why he's world number one. But I will say this. There's tons of room for improvement. I think a lot of the observations here are spot on. You look at a match like against Sinner at Wimbledon. He was clearly having trouble absorbing pace on that forehand side. So as an offensive weapon, I think there's a lot of progress to be made. And then offensively, there were a lot of Alcaraz losses this year where one of the main problems, maybe the, the biggest problem and the biggest critique I had for many of those losing efforts, those losing performances, was the erraticness of the forehand. Just spraying too many errors from offensive positions, losing points, uh, you know, perhaps the timing being a little bit off and unable to really reel those margins in and play those percentage forehands, uh, recognize points in the match or situations where he just needed to go for less on the forehand. So the unforced errors on the forehand in a lot of his losses were was a major issue. So I kind of agree. From J.A., Berrettini's slice. It just doesn't look that great to me, and there have been matches where that shot just fails him entirely. I completely agree with this one. Completely agree. I think it's overrated because I think it's average. So anyone who considers Berrettini's backhand slice to be this great, well above average slice on tour, I, I disagree. I think it's an average slice. And I think the big difference between Berrettini and most other players is that he uses it a ton. The frequency of Berrettini's slice is top 10 percentile. He's like not, or I should say like 90th to 99th percentile. Berrettini slices more than most players on tour and it's not close. But if you're giving me like slice effectiveness, slice competency, maybe a little over 50th percentile, but to me, it's just, it's just an average slice. I don't think it's all that consistent. There have been matches where I feel like it misses too much. Um, is it that precise? No, but like, I feel like he's, he should not be lumped into Dan Evans and Grigor Dimitrov and Federer. Uh, that backhand slice is not there. It's just that because the drive backhand is oftentimes uh, an even worse option, Berrettini slices a lot. I also will say when Berrettini does hit a good slice, the, the payoff, the reward for it is often tremendous because his forehand is so good and a great slice is is uh, regularly effective as a setup shot for that big forehand. So when Berrettini nails it, the payoff is great. 
but the slice itself, I would say it's a little bit above average, if not average. And I hear a lot of intense praise for that particular shot. From Anthony, not a shot, but Alex DeMinor's speed, I think is slightly overrated, but it's not because it's it's not because he isn't obscenely quick. He is. He often just doesn't use it correctly. I think Alex plays his best tennis when he is more aggressive. His speed, amazing, unbelievable at times. Just wish he sometimes uses opportunities it gives uh, to get him back into points. Apologies, I kind of cut cut off the comment. Um, but I think you're on to something. I think this is a great observation, but I would tweak it. I don't think you're saying Demonor's speed is overrated. You're saying his defense is overrated. That's what you're saying here. He's unquestionably in, insanely fast. I would say in a in a if a forty yard dash, if they were to run a forty yard dash, I would say Michael Emer, Alex Demonor, and Alcaraz would probably be the best performers. Just straight line speed. Take away all the other things that come into play when it comes to covering a tennis court, efficient footwork, agility, flexibility, anticipation. Take away all those things. Just look at speed, and I think it's those three guys, all right? But you're saying Demonor's defense is overrated. I agree. I think it is uh, because – and here's the reason for, I think, what you're observing. Demonor is ineffective from deep court positions. He doesn't have the weight of shot, the heaviness – frankly, the top spin to play effectively, the power, the strength to play effectively from well behind the baseline. You're spot on about when Demonor plays his best tennis. He's attacking. He's taking the ball early. He's on top of the baseline. He's inside the baseline because based on how he produces his ground strokes and based on his power deficiencies, and by the way, his ability as a net rusher, which is excellent, he needs to be up on the baseline. So uh, I think you're observing that, well, Demonor is not turning defense into offense regularly. And I think that's true. He's not. I will say it's not that he doesn't want to. It's that he's not strong enough to do it, to turn defense into offense. And for that reason, yeah, his defense is a little bit overrated. And it's overrated because he's so damn fast. From cross-court tennis... Dimitrov's whole game to casuals, really. It just doesn't have effectiveness consistently whatsoever. The forehand that doesn't do much damage whatsoever and somehow still sprays. The one-handed backhand that gets so much praise, but he really misses a majority of passing shots even when at his best. His net game is pretty good, but even then, a lot of the time he is caught trying to be too delicate with his volleys and half volleys. I love the guy, but these are honest truths in my opinion. All right, harsh, harsh. Dimitrov's best asset is his athleticism. It's his, it's his movement. And in that respect, sure, Dimitrov's technical skills, maybe they are overrated. From Vitek, hot take. Djokovic's drop shot from the baseline. It's praised a lot. But it's only good when Novak uses it a few times per match. He uses it more frequently when he doesn't know how to finish points on the baseline. For example, in some matches against Nadal on clay. And from watching these matches, I have a hunch that Novak doesn't win too many points when he starts doing that. Uh, because of that high-profile Roland Garros final against Djokovic in 2020, where the drop shot was a disaster, 
Uh, I think it's a very common take that Djokovic's drop shot stinks. And it's just not, I don't see it that way at all. I think Djokovic's backhand drop shot is excellent. Uh, the execution on it is really, really good. Uh, I will say, yes, uh, sometimes in matches, can he get a little bit desperate if the shot tolerance is lacking? And can he use the drop shot in a way that's not healthy for his winning tennis? Yes. But I would say those occasions are few and far between. And in general, Novak just has a really solid backhand drop shot. Uh, the fact that he doesn't really have it on the forehand definitely hurts him. I also think that players are very much kind of onto it and are very aware that the Djokovic backhand drop shot is a weapon. But in general, no, I don't think it's overrated because I think it's actually highly scrutinized and criticized. Marco B. Gaz K. This was the top liked comment by far. 17 likes on this one. Gaz K. Backhand. I've never seen the appeal. Federer and Henin for aesthetics and Vavrinka and team for power. Gaz K.'s backhand wasn't effective. Nadal and others picked it off every time. This is another that I'd push back on a little bit. I mean, if Gaz K.'s backhand wasn't effective, then how was he ever a top 10 player? Like, that was... The problem with Gaz K, in my eyes, is that he didn't have enough outside of that backhand. He just didn't build his game enough outside of the, that shot. The firepower on the serve wasn't there. The firepower on the forehand wasn't there. Not even close, by the way, on the forehand. The forehand is not big. It's not dangerous. It's not scary. It's not offensive. That's the problem with Gaz K. Uh, to put any blame on his backhand, I'm out on that. I mean, the backhand, I think he's one of the rare players, the very few players on tour who I think offensively his backhand is better than his forehand. Flat out better. Like, he he's one of the guys who shouldn't hit run around forehands and kind of doesn't very often. Uh, it's better for him to just accept a backhand. That's how good his backhand is compared to his forehand. So uh, I'm not. I'm just not seeing it. It's the top liked comment. Clearly, a lot of people agree that Gazke's backhand is overrated. I mean, if Gazke's backhand is overrated, like, who is he as a player? Like, why is he? Why did he have a good career if his backhand is overrated? Because to me, that's his strength. Was he a super awesome athlete? Was he a great net rusher? Like, I'm not seeing anything. I'm seeing a world class backhand. I'm seeing. That, that's basically what I'm seeing in Gaz K's game as far as what made him awesome. Like the special sauce that made him awesome when he was a top 10 player. What am I missing here? Let me know in the comments. From Karen Montgomery. Nick Kyrgios's forehand. While he has hit into many... Oh, while he has hit many nitro ones over the years. I like that descriptor, nitro. Uh, those are low percentage slaps that have not come through for him. In his biggest matches. Overall, while he can hit really hard, his forehand lacks the high margin aggression of the best for forehands in the world. Isn't the best at absorbing pace due to his long next-gen technique, and his forehand return has cost him many matches. For example, Wimbledon 2019 and AO 2020 versus Nadal. Other examples of his forehand letting him down are his loss to Nadal in Indian Wells, where he was hitting crazy powerful but couldn't find the court enough, and Djokovic at Wimbledon, where he he didn't have 
enough consistent offense to build the points, and his forehand largely cost him the tiebreak at the end. I pretty much agree. I mostly agree. I mean, the forehand return especially. Because the forehand return is has been a gaping weakness. And I don't know. You know, maybe it's gotten a little bit better. I think it has. I think he's committed his mind, honestly, more than anything. He's committed his mind to doing the right things on his forehand return instead of letting the technique get very lazy, which, uh, which it did for many, many years there. Uh, but I would say... It's not bad at all. It's not a bad forehand, but I do think it can be a deployed a little bit better um, in terms of just picking the right shots on it and finding the right base, having good footwork on the forehand side. Um, yeah, I, I think there's a little bit meat. Uh, there's a little bit of meat on the bone on the Kiros's for on the Kiros forehand from. Ron Robbie. Tough one. I had three candidates, but ultimately, I'd say it's Medvedev's serve. While he has a great serve, it's often inconsistent, not very diverse, and not as big as other players with similar genetics like Zverev and FAA, and proven to be unreliable in clutch recently in the ATP Finals. For a player who's six foot six, I feel it should be better. The second serve is not good. And that's, if I'm going to call Medvedev's serve overrated, I have to go to the second. I have to talk about the second serve. The first serve, I have, I struggle with that argument. You know, it's, he bombs it. It's massive. He gets a lot of free points. Hits a lot of aces. He mixes up his spots. Like, do I think he's got a really great sliding serve? Uh, you know, no, um, like his slice serve. No, it's mostly a flat serve. Is is he pinpoint with the spot serving? I think he's good enough, plenty good enough. But his kick serve is pretty weak. So if you're going to call Medvedev's serve overrated, you got to say that kick is just not uh, where it could be for a six foot six guy. I mean, many, 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 many players have better kick serves than Medvedev. From Raphael, who is a member. Thank you for being a member. I usually give members priority on the mailbags, but in this case, it is uh, alphabetical order. Nadal's forehand. Yeah, it's great for high-bouncing courts that reward spin, but generally, he has trouble defending or even on neutral sometimes on that side on low-bouncing surface uh, surfaces where his ball tends to fall short and in the middle of the opponent's strike zone. It really gets exposed on indoor hard courts or other low bouncing hard courts when he's playing elite opponents. The Nadal forehand is a complicated thing. I'll give you that. Is it overrated? Nah. You just can't really say that. I mean, it's it's the greatest clay court weapon of all time in my opinion. But is there nuance there? Is Nadal's forehand just dynamite in every situation? No. If you make him move to his left and you rush him, so if he's on the run and rushed, sometimes or oftentimes he gives you something to attack. He often gets a lot of topspin on that ball, so on certain surfaces it's not as big a deal, 
But yes, as you pointed out, low bouncing surfaces that don't reward topspin, oftentimes the depth is kind of lacking and he can get attacked. Yeah, totally. But I think you can acknowledge that and also acknowledge the fact that any player would pretty much kill for Nadal's forehand because uh, of how lethal it is when his feet are set, um, how consistent it is when he's attacking with it, um, and how big and heavy and damaging it is. From Jean, who's also a member. As a longtime Anz Jabur follower, I would say her drop shot is overrated and that it cost her the Wimby final this year against Rybakina because she was trying to use it as a desperation tap tactic slash get out of jail card. She felt the nerves of being the favorite. She was trying to shorten the points against her will and Rybakina started reading this play from Ons time and time again. For me next year, she needs to be more decisive and pick the right moments to use the drop shot to her advantage. Ons is definitely guilty of overusing the drop shot sometimes. Um, I don't know that the Rybakina match would be the one that I would choose because, you know, Rybakina being so uncomfortable in the forecourt, you can't really fault Jabur for trying to do that oftentimes. And yes, you know, Rybakina made some, you know, clutch plays, you know, hit some volleys that looked uncomfortable but kind of worked in that match and yeah some of those short slices to drop shots that sometimes they were kind of in between some of them were unsuccessful for Jabur um but in general I think yeah the decision making can definitely be better on the Jabur drop shot with that being said the the hands on on Jabur the ability to execute difficult drop shots second to none I mean, let's not get it twisted. You could you could say Jabur's drop shot is overrated because she gets in trouble with it, uh, but she gets in trouble with it because of the decision making. Her her drop shot in itself, when it's there, especially on the backhand, as good as anyone's, absolutely elite, sorcery at times. How well she hits the the drop shot from behind the baseline, Espectros. Rublev forehand, powerful, yes, but also repetitive, unimaginative, without height variation, and without great angles, neither. All of your critiques are valid, and they're correct, all of them. Does that make Rublev's forehand overrated? It could. I will have to say, though, that Hitting the taking the ball as early as Rublev, hitting the forehand as hard as Rublev, and missing as rarely as Rublev misses on it is something that most of the tour would kill for. Like, let's simplify this. He hits the crap out of the ball and doesn't miss. Boy, that's kind of nice. That's kind of nice. So, could it be better? Yeah. Um, it definitely can be. All valid critiques of the Rublev forehand, but I would probably fall short of calling it overrated. From Max. Rude forehand. Lots of topspin, but too often doesn't have the flatness to create instant damage, in my opinion. Nah. I can't agree. 
I think on the vast majority of surfaces, Rude's forehand is plenty damaging. Will you get some instances where the forehand doesn't really look like a huge weapon, particularly on grass? Yes. So once again, the critique is definitely valid, but I don't know. What percent of surfaces are we really looking at Rude's forehand being severely diminished as an offensive weapon? I would say very few, maybe like 10, 20%. I think even 20% is going a little bit too far. Maybe 15% of surfaces, the surfaces that really don't take well to spin, uh, Root's forehand can, can be very underwhelming. I will say that. So I'd like to see him uh, flatten it out a little bit better. I think he's improved in that respect. Still progress to go. So... All right, you know what? You know what? I can I can say I can say that might be fair to call Root's forehand overrated just because we regard it as one of the very elite forehands and an argument could be made that if you have an elite forehand it should work on every surface. Maybe. I don't know. I'm I'm a little shaky on calling it overrated. Uh, Tibor, maybe the importance of the serve is somewhat overrated. If all surfaces were as Turin year-end championships, then it would be vitally important. However, look at Isner, Raonic, Karlovic, all had decent careers, but if the serve were to be the most vital shot, they had to be number one, two, and three, and Nadal should not have two Wimbledon titles. Yeah, I agree. You have to have more than the serve. You have to. No, I mean, again, yes, Karlovic, Isner, uh, Raonic, Opelka. Um, not to say that some of those players don't have other weapons. Karlovic is great at net. Isner has an awesome forehand. Opelka has an awesome backhand and actually moves pretty well. Um, Raonic has a really good forehand. Um, so, yeah, I mean, these players have other things, but that just goes to show you, honestly— like, the best example might be, um, oh, who is that Australian player? He maybe had kind of an elite serve. Sam Groff, right? Like, you can be Sam Groff um, and have an enormous serve. Like, you need to have more. You must. The serve alone, it, it's just not going to get you that far. And nobody, nobody should lose sight of the fact that the players who did dominate the sport for the last two two or so decades are not serve-centric players. I mean, Federer goes the closest to that range, but they're all tremendous baseliners. And uh, yeah, I mean, you need more than the serve. Tour Juice. I probably butchered that one. Feel like Tiafo's serve gets a lot of praise, but isn't really that good. Could be that I just think it looks weird, but I feel like it lacks variation and consistency. All right. Uh, here's what I will say. Tiafo has the lowest first serve percentage in the top 50. That said, he serves bombs. He serves huge. And I do like his second serve. So if his second serve was weak that would be probably a really huge problem. I think his kick serve, it, it, it's very good. So he can maybe get away with 
flattening out that first serve, really trying to bomb it, get a lot of purchase out of it because he's not afraid to hit a second serve. Tiafo's serve is, is an interesting case. Let's keep an eye on that. From Chris, Pass forehand. Heard none other than Patrick Muradoglu say it was the best forehand on tour. It sure is good. He takes it early and with precision. But best on tour? I don't know. I think it might be. I think it's right up there. It's it's incredible. Um, it's as big as anybody's. Deceptive, deceptive how much topspin he gets on it. Uh, but he still hits it on a line. You know, he's not hitting it with crazy shape. Uh, the speed is good. The precision is great. Yes, he takes it early. He transitions through the middle of the court very comfortably using the forehand. Uh, he defends really, really well on the forehand side. The same just cannot be said about the backhand side where he defends very poorly. So, uh, I don't agree. I think it's amazing. I would say it's tier one. Uh, from VTech, Vavrinka's backhand. I've seen people say that his backhand is one of, if not the best of all time. That's clearly not the case. Vavrinka's backhand has always been spectacular and powerful. And in his best years, it allowed him to overpower Djokovic in rallies. But generally, the most important qualities of a backhand are consistency and defense. And Stan's backhand just hasn't been the best in that regard. I think people just ca get carried away after seeing highlights of Stan's amazing shots and say that his backhand is actually the best. Well, I think I think you're being unfair here um, because the qualities of maybe a two-handed backhand, which most players use, might be consistency and defense. But I'd say a lot of one-handers use their backhands as much more of a weapon from the back of the court. Dominic Thiem, uh, Stan Wawrinka are really the, the the biggest examples of this. And Gaz K, who apparently has an overrated backhand, uh, if you ask my, uh, you know, the viewers, clearly. But, um, yeah, I mean, these guys these guys hit huge, heavy backhands, and, and that's okay. Like, that's what they can do as one-handers. And Wawrinka's, his entire game is around offense. Like it's not about consistency and defense. It's about hitting really, really big. And yes, he, he is steady from the back of the court. Um, but, and I do think the backhand is steady, but his game is not about defense. He's not a great mover. He never has been. And, uh, I don't think that we should deduct from the greatness of Vavrinka's backhand just because he doesn't defend on it, uh, all that well. Uh, you look at Vavrinka's game, it's all about you know, building points with his with his big, heavy ground strokes from the back of the court. And it's vital that he was able to do that on his backhand as well as his forehand. That is the last one. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I will see you next time. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.